You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Indians. This is Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. My head cold is worse today. Sorry, everyone. Hopefully it will. Um, I'll just sound a little deeper and uh, throatier and it won't be an issue. Let's uh, let's dive into it because there's a lot of kind of lesser news to talk today, but I think it's all really interesting news. Let's continue with catchers. Uh, the common theme on this podcast of late, we talked about the Rays and their situation yesterday. They agreed to uh, to re-sign Mike Zunio today at the cost of $4.5 million. Um, he was expected to get closer to $5 million in arbitration, but at the same time, this is a guy who was utterly awful last year. There is no, I mean, again, when you are viewed as an offensive catcher and you are putting up numbers that a lot of pitchers beat, that that's an issue, especially for a guy who is exiting his 20s. He is going to be, um, let's see, he will turn 29 in March. So you're looking at the last year of his 20s. He had a negative war a year ago, meaning he was below replacement. Those peak years at age 25 and 26 showed something, but Seattle was willing to move on for a reason. But the catcher market is so bad. And teams are so desperate that a guy who is two seasons removed from being really good is getting four and a half million. I mean, he's still a solid defender. Let's let's leave it right there. He is an above average defender, but Travis DeArnd, who just got eight million, you know, sixteen million over two years, eight million a year for a hundred good games. Again, this just shows how crazy this catching market is. Um, the Indians absolutely, positively should not trade Roberto Perez. He is one of the top defensive catchers in baseball. It's like him and Austin Hedges and uh, Grandel are in that kind of upper tier. And while he doesn't give the quite the production of Grandel, I mean, Perez's offensive output a year ago was excellent for what you're getting defensively. It's like everything's gravy after that. Uh, I made a quote on Twitter that when you combine Austin Hedges with the next guy I'm going to talk about, uh, you would have the best catcher in baseball. And if you could take the defense of, of Austin Hedges who offensively is somehow worse than Zunio, and combine it with the offense of Omar Navarez, the Seattle uh, Mariners catcher, you would have the best catcher in baseball. Now, here's the thing. Uh, The Mariners have been exploring trades for Omar Navarez. uh, He's terrible defensively. Like, he's not a catcher. (laughs) Like, he is so bad, he is borderline not a catcher. This is like Carlos Santana behind the plate. Are you willing to run with that? Because if you are willing to run with it... um, his age 26 year with the White Sox before he was traded away last year. I mean, he was over 97 games. He had nine home runs, uh, 794 OPS. He was a solid, solid player. And then he gets to Seattle and improved on those numbers. So when you're looking at him, he had played in 132 games, which is a lot for a catcher, but 22 home runs, uh, 9.75% walk rate, 19.09% strikeout rate, uh, I'd have to go pull up his WRC+. plus. Now, his BAPIP was unsustainably high the last three years, like ridiculously high. Um, even going back to 2017, like, I mean, maybe it's one of those things where he's just one of those guys who's always going to have a freakishly high batting average of balls put on play, balls put in play um, because, you know, a 330 in 2017, a 330 in 2018, and a 306 this year, uh, 285 being about the average. But offensively, I mean, he is phenomenal. He is a phenomenal hitter who 
the Mariners own two more years of control of. He is you own his age twenty eight and twenty nine year. Now he's he played one game in left field. I wouldn't really count on him there. He's a first base DH and occasional catcher. Um, in an ideal world. I think he makes a lot of sense to that Milwaukee Brewers team that we have talked about a lot just because they have punted defense many times in the building of their team. I think the Indians should consider him uh, just as another player kind of in that uh, first base DH rotation. He is a, a switch hitter as well. So you're getting a switch hitter who has been a really, really effective hitter in his major league career. So with I don't blame teams going out and looking at the market and being like, hey, let's see what uh, what our catcher, what his value is. Let's see what he can do. Um, the problem is, I think, with a lot of these guys, like Navarez, like uh, Castillo with the Cubs, is these are guys who are just not good defenders. These are guys who maybe are like, I don't know if they should stay behind the plate. Uh, I, while I was talking, I looked up a 119 WRC+. plus. That's, that's fantastic. A 122 the year before with the Sox. Uh, even you look at the White Sox, I, another tweet from today, Yasmani Grandal was like number three in uh, pitch framing, and James McCann was like three from the bottom. Uh, with the difference in their strike, like you should see a noticeable improvement in the strikeout totals for the White Sox just by the change in pitch framing between the guy that used to play and the guy who will play. But you find the right team. I mean, it makes sense. Navarez is going to be a plus plus hitter at the catcher position. Now he's going to be a minus minus defender. Um, and pitchers are getting more and more finicky about who's back there uh, catching the ball for them. So I don't know. We'll have to see. But again, if you need a first base DH type, this is Navarez makes a ton of sense. He should be one of those guys who's targeted more for that. So the Reds continue adding kind of marginal guys. I love what they're doing with this. This is exactly what I would do if I was um, running a team. They're just going out there and making moves for guys who performed well or, or interesting. They added uh, Nick Martini, who the Dodgers, the Dodgers, the Padres had let go, um, who really did not have a good year this year, but has been around a bit and has had some interesting minor league production at points. Uh, never much of a home run guy, but he was able to walk at a really high rate in the minors. Potential on-base uh, machine is what you hoped with everything working out right. It hasn't been there, but this is a team that has struggled offensively, and why not? Why not gamble on Nick Martini and his stat line? Their other addition was Justin Schaefer from the Blue Jays. We'll talk about the Blue Jays more in a bit, um, as they added a player who had significant time on the Indians roster this year today. Uh, Schaefer was effective this year in relief now it was over 40 innings but uh i mean the fip was not great but he he was able to miss bats home run rate high walk rate is high you can see why the blue jays moved on he was you kind of felt like you were playing with house money in terms of how he performed this year but again if you're the cincinnati reds he was productive you're adding him to your 40 man after he was taken off the blue jays you're able to gamble with that there, I love the bottom of the roster churn, trying to see if you can find something there. Can you find a productive player? Keep churning the bottom, giving guys opportunities. I, I absolutely think that's what every team should be doing. Now, the Reds is a team that's open to contend. That's not ideal. But I think it's just terrible and unquestionable uh, 
that the Tigers aren't doing that. The Tigers are not churning at all, and this is when they should be doing it. Now, I thought it was interesting that one of the guys that let go, Jimmy uh, Hergit, is a former top prospect who was viewed as you know more of a, a reliever, and that's what he's been pretty much essentially since he was drafted. He was somewhat productive this year in AAA. Um, it's just that walk rate and the home run rate continue to be issues. I think someone will give him a chance. There was always good stuff, good numbers, good potential there. Um, he seems like the, like the challenge pitcher. Like Maybe you can turn him into a, a worthwhile reliever. And then Brian O'Grady, who... Um, you know, anytime you've got kind of a guy from the Big Ten, you got to be happy. Rutgers baseball does not put a lot of guys into the majors. O'Grady over his minor league career, I mean, he's even, uh, you go through and you look, and I mean, he was productive in the minors. Didn't really get too much of more than a cup of coffee in the majors, but uh, maybe he'll he'll shoot on somewhere. He should get added to someone's minor league team. Away is our sponsor today, and Away creates products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com backslash locked on and use the promo code locked on during checkout. Listening on the go and you can't visit away right now, you can find all this offer and all of our other offers from locked on sports at lockedonpodcast.com backslash offers. So, something I teased about earlier in the podcast was that uh, there was a player who signed today who has ties to the Cleveland Indians who spent significant time on the roster, and that is AJ Cole, who was taken off the 40 man, signed. With the Toronto Blue Jays to a minor league contract, it was interesting that he chose the Blue Jays as a minor league contract rather than return to the Indians. I assume they would have offered the same deal the Blue Jays did. So he must have saw writing on the wall, didn't think he was going to get a huge opportunity to play. Uh, Nestor Cortez was traded by the Yankees to... uh, I can't remember where he was traded to now. He was traded to Seattle, and it's another one of those guys who was just cut off a 40-man and we'll get a chance to pitch for them this year. Played in a lot of games for the Yankees relatively. 66 innings, 33 games, one start. Um, maybe not the most successful guy this year, but he did miss bats, and the walk rate was under four, strikeout rate over nine. If he can get that home run rate down or even just his hit rate down a little, there's a chance there's a productive arm there. Just 24 years of age. He is undersized at 5'11", but... Uh, yeah, I like that as a, it's, again, that bottom of the roster churn that I was talking about. Uh, last few guys of note, Dario, Ar- I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Grizala was, uh, the Tigers got him while I was crapping on the Tigers for their lack of um, churning that bottom of the roster. They went out and got uh, Agrizilla from the Pirates. Good walk rate, 2.2, and that's over, you know, 14 starts. A solid guy in that regard. Um, my, just the five strikeouts is an issue. Like I'm more likely to see a guy cut back on home run rate or walk rate than see a sizable increase in in strikeout rate. That strikeout rate is not good and does not inspire a lot of confidence. Um, another guy we mentioned earlier, Jarrell Cotton. I forgot over the weekend he got uh, as I said ex- stated. Uh, I thought a trade would come and it did, and he is going to go with the Cubs. Last few bits of information: former Indian Rich Hill. He uh, is going to need surgery and is not going. Is likely to miss the start the start of the season. Now, Rich Hill is 39 years old. He'll be 40 in March. Really, kind of a crazy career when you look at, you know, as a starter and then a reliever and then back to a starter. 15 year career at this point. Uh, really unlikely. It's just the 
the scope of it, the ups and downs, the fact that like his age, his age 30 year, he pitched all of four innings in the majors. His age 31 year was eight innings. 32 was 19.2, kind of had that rebirth. I mean, Cleveland was kind of the start of things to a degree. 38.2, he was not good. Went to Boston, 29, and then that year in Oakland was the real rebirth. And then he turned into this starter with a, you know, who could miss bats and keep his walk rate down. And earlier in his career, his walk rate was a huge issue. And it's it Oakland gets a lot of credit because it's kind of crazy. They went from a guy with a walk rate you're looking at over six. There were some points when it was lower, but around five or six, and now it's pretty consistently under three. And the strikeout rate, which had some high peaks, but also had some low valleys, jumped up there. So he is going to be an interesting fallback option. A 1.4 war this year, over 13 starts, uh, just 58 innings pitched, again, due to age and injuries, but his you know, his FIP was 4.10. Like, he looked like he still had something left. And, again, he's likely to miss the start of the year. He is going to be 40 in March. There's a lot of reasons to not roll the dice on him, but there's not a lot of pitchers out there. And he's a lefty who still has some effectiveness left, so I'll be curious to see what product or market, I should say, develops for Rich Hill. So this leaves one last name, and this is the guy I kind of want to end the podcast talking about because... The White Sox made an interesting decision today, um, and I thought it was one of the tweets I saw was they cut Yolmer uh, Sanchez because he is not a starter for a contending team. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Yolmer uh, Sanchez was a two-war player this year. Uh, that makes him a solid regular. Yes, almost all of that value came from defense, or I should say a high percentage of it came from defense, but he was not a terrible offensive player he was going to cost somewhere around 6.5 million in the final year of his contract he is going to turn 28 this year so you're probably not going to see a lot of growth but he is a switch hitter who did win the gold glove at second base this year Uh, an excellent defender at second base can play shortstop can play third he has played a variety of positions through his career in the uh, majors and minors played outfield as well but mostly a second baseman who has also been able to pinch in at third base. I think the Indians should be jumping on him now. They should be calling him nonstop. And there's a few reasons for this. One, um, let's say Nolan Jones becomes ready. Sanchez is an easy guy to kind of move to more of a bench role. And as a utility guy, yeah, he's going to be a little pricey. He's obviously not going to get $6.5 million, But if you go out and you claim him, he might get... I'd have to check in the arbitration rules. Maybe then you go to arbitration with him. Um, if he clear if he clears waivers, though, if no one claims him and he clears waivers, then you're just negotiating a contract for him. But, you know, the fact that he can play second or third base and the fact that you could put him out at either of those positions and be okay, it would allow you probably ideal cases if you left Jose Ramirez at third base, Sanchez at second base, and Lindor at shortstop. That infield defense would be pretty amazing. And the Indians have shown a lot of value in high defensive uh, performance. You also add in Roberto Perez. Uh, you look at some of the outfield guys through the years. Sanchez would be an interesting addition. Just purely because what he would do defensively. You talk about going from Kipnis to Sanchez. I mean, that is, that's a huge, huge increase in your infield defense. It's a one-year gamble. Again, if Nolan Jones ends up proving himself ready, you can move on, and it's not a huge loss. 
But when you look at someone like Sanchez, it's going to cost you nothing. It's not going to cost you any assets, and all of a sudden you could have the gold glove shortstop and second baseman next to each other. And for a team that is so reliant on its pitching, uh, putting a really, really good defender, one of the best defenders in baseball at second base, there is just going to make your pitchers even better. The the What Lindor and Sanchez would get to would be, it would only be for a year, but it would be probably a top five defensive up the middle pairing in Indians history if you put those two players together. That's, that's how good both of them are. Now you're saying, I know, yeah, but the defense, and or the offense, the defense we know about. Again, I can't recall the last time of seeing a gold glove winner be uh, outrighted. <laughs> so this is a very odd occurrence. And the White Sox are going to you know look to probably add an infielder at this point. But at the same time, one has to wonder how much of this was because he was going to be due $6.5 million and the White Sox being a... I know they signed Grandel, but they're a little bit cheap. It's very much a White Sox move with that ownership in place to sign a big money free agent and then cut someone who has been a, a average league starter. And again, the tweet that's like, oh, he's, well, he's not a starter and a contender. That's, that's baloney. He is because the defense is there and there's value in defense. Offensively, it was a down year for him. He was a, let me, I want to pull up his uh, best stats, you know, at 74 WRC plus. His weighted on base was down to 281, slash line of 252, 318, 321. Like, he's not a top-of-the-order guy. But he walks some. He has some value, can hit some doubles. Again, you're mostly there for the defense. And the fact that the bat is below average, but not hugely below average, you can deal with. For Let's just compare. Okay, Jason Kipnis last year. I'm going to pull up his WRC+. plus. So Kipnis had an 82 a year ago, and Sanchez was a 74. The year before that, um, Kipnis was an 89, and Sanchez was an 87. The year before that, Sanchez a 95, Kipnis an 80. So they've been kind of similar zones in terms of uh, offensive production these past few years, but you're looking at a guy who had almost twice as much defensive value, again, using the Fangraph's defensive metric. It is interesting, though, that like Fangraph's rates him versus as a one-war player, and over at Baseball Reference, they have him at 2.1. Uh, it's also interesting that it has declining values, but that's because the bat has kind of gotten a little worse every year. Uh, the I feel like, yeah, because he started out with 12 home runs and has gone 8-2. to two. His power is zapped. While his walk rate has improved. Again, he's not an all-star, but you're potentially adding, again, one of the best defensive second basemen in baseball, a guy who offensively is pretty much on par with what you had the last two to three years at second base anyways. So you're not really going down. If you are going down offensively, it's a it's a small amount. Taking a slight uh, downgrade in offense for a massive upgrade defensively. And again, for a team that is going to win or lose and advance into the postseason based on their pitching more than anything else upgrading second base defensively that much is a net win and for a team that wants to kind of save a few bucks here keep flexibility going forward Sanchez is an ideal guy Um, when I saw his name I was like really okay I hope the Indians are calling and they should be Um, that defensive combination would be it just gets me excited to think about it. It'd be a lot of fun to watch. And the offensive um, drop-down is not much of a drop-down compared to what they've had. 
And while it is a slight decrease from Kipnis, it is still a massive increase over the Ryan Flattery, who, if you also saw the news today, um, is retired to become a coach in San Diego. And Max Morhoff and Eric Stametz, he is worlds ahead of them. So you sign someone like Sanchez, you put him at the ninth spot in your lineup, and you enjoy the defense and you deal with the offense. Another guy who's even worse than him is uh, Orlando Arcia, the shortstop for the Brewers, who's another defensive whiz, but can't do anything at all with the bat. And that's another one of those things that second base has become a more offensive position. So we start to look for more there. Well, I mean, the Indians weren't getting the production there, but other teams do. And when you, you look at the position, but if you compare his values to something like catcher, it's not too bad. You know, it's kind of around those guys who talked about yesterday, like the Gomes and the Martin Maldonados. Sanchez is the Martin Maldonado of second baseman, uh, below average bat plus defense, uh, maybe not the top tier, but for a team that can't have top tier everywhere, there's a lot of worse places to look than Yolmar Sanchez. So uh, immediately moves into my top five most interesting free agents as relating to the Indians. Uh, I would love to see what they could do with him. I'm not going to say the White Sox hitting development is bad, but the White Sox hitting development has left a lot to be desired over the years. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a bit of a rebound coming to Cleveland and using some of their advanced um, approaches and trying to fiddle with the swing and stuff like that. Uh, one last area you know, to look at when we talk about someone like this is kind of the, the ratio of where balls are going. Um, so his line drive percentage was a 21, his ground ball percentage of 43, his fly ball percentage a 35.5. It was actually the highest of the last three years was his this year. So that, that's a positive. Even though his, uh, his home runs were down, we're seeing more um, ground balls. The, the bunt for hit percentage uh, was down this year, which, you know, disappointing. But uh, for someone like uh, Tito, not for me, <laughs> less bunts the better. But he is someone who does have some experience bunting for hits, which has to be, make him an even better sell to Tito. Here's someone who knows how to bunt. So that's where we're going to kind of end for today. We're not going to look into a team. Um, barring any big news tomorrow, we'll start to look at the Nationals and Mets and finish off the NL before we dive deep into the uh, the world of the AL and can start talking about some of the interesting trade candidates in there. Yomer Sanchez, do it. Thank you all for listening. And as always, go Tribe. <laughs>